If you're enjoying Mixtapes with Mike, there are three ways that you can support me right now. First off, if you can, follow me on Instagram. My account is at Mixtapes with Mike Podcast, and that's where I announce all of my episodes and I make daily posts about the artists and songs that feature in that week's mixtape. The link in my bio connects to either of my Apple Music or Spotify accounts, so you can listen to the back catalogue of previous mixtapes. And I also run monthly giveaways where one of my followers can win a brand new record. Secondly, if you're holding an iPhone, it would mean the world to me if you would take a moment to leave me a positive review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps me reach new people and grow the audience. And lastly, if you're listening on any other platform, somewhere there will be a share button. And it would be a massive help if you would click that button and send this podcast to any one of your friends who you think would enjoy it. And now, without further delay, here's this week's episode. Welcome to Mixtapes with Mike, the podcast where I invite a guest to make us a mixtape of 10 tracks without using the same artist twice. We're going to talk about each song, and if you like the sound of what you hear, you can listen to the mixtape in full on Apple Music or Spotify by clicking the link in the show notes. Now, since I relaunched mixtapes last year and was using Zoom as my main method for talking to people, I've gone out of my way to talk to guests from all over the world. But this week, I'm going a little bit closer to home. I'm talking to someone who I have known for more years than I care to mention in this intro. He's been a prominent fixture in my local music scene as long as I can remember. He has an insatiable hunger for exploration and travel. And he's also the co-host of a podcast called Archer and the Devil, which I'll link to in the show notes. So this week's guest is my friend, Sonny Randauer. How you doing? I'm not bad, yourself? Holding on, man. You know, it's bearing, bearing, bearing down under the strain of it all. Is that the expression? Yeah, we're 58 days into it now, so... Officially into UK lockdown, 58 days. So I think everyone's kind of like found their rhythm in it now. Yeah, like I think I heard someone else say that it, it takes two weeks to like acclimatize to like a new yeah. way of living. Uh, I think that was that was someone talking about people who who go off in submarines. It takes two weeks to acclimate to that kind of living. Right. So I guess this is a this is a similar kind of idea, I suppose. So, but we we are, I don't even want to think about how long we've known each other. Yeah, because it does imply immediately that we're very old people, which um, by this point we are. I would say I would have met you around probably fourteen years old, which is twenty four years ago. 23 years ago for me, yeah. Holy shit. Um, (laughs) So basically, in the time where we live, there was was the little sort of band of music fans who were primarily into rock music who would just occupy this space in the castle grounds in the centre of town. And so that's where we would all sort of meet up and hang out and go off in our little groups wandering around town but always end up back in the castle grounds yeah it was i think the thing is back then as well pre-social media pre-really mobile phones i think we were kind of like 
there was a the wall essentially was the place there was yeah. like the wall by the bandstand yeah. and you just knew to go there and other people would be there yeah because you couldn't you know, Skype people or tweet people or Facebook people or MySpace people even back then you'd just turn up somewhere and eventually you'd meet people and then their friends would proxy become your friends and that's how everyone kind of met of that group of that generation back then yeah so there's this, just this, this overlap of all these different little groups of, of, of metalheads and punk rockers and skateboard kids and so they would all sort of sort of overlap and congregate around that spot um yeah and and you're you're the person that everyone will run into on a night out <laughs> i've no idea i blend in the same as everyone so i have no idea why <laughs> um yeah this this would be the point where i put the video clip up on instagram um you're, you're a distinctive guy yeah, a little bit, <laughs> especially in this town. Um, this town is predominantly white, which I'm not okay. initially. So there's that, and then you throw in the fact that I'm six three. I've always had stupidly long hair, more makeup and piercings and stuff like that. So generally, in a crowd, gonna stand out a little bit. Yeah, just a, a touch, a touch. It's not hard to spot you. Um, yeah, the one thing that would always be sort of talked about sat along that wall around the castle grounds it was always music because yeah. people would have been going to gigs talking about albums coming out so that was always the sort of the common ground for everyone uh, so that's one of the reasons I wanted to get you on this because you were always going to put a decent playlist together and you are always going to have pleasant, plenty to say about the bands that you love Yeah, so I'm really glad that you've come on man so, I appreciate it. It's good, to, it's, it's good to see you again, if nothing else, even if it is through a screen. But that's the world we live in now, apparently. So. Yeah, but you know what? I think it means we're not going to take stuff like that for granted when we are allowed. Yeah. We're allowed to be in the same space. Yeah. There's, there's maybe it's maybe brought a lot of things into focus, and as horrible as it's been, there are going to be some positives that are going to come out of it. Yeah, no, completely. All right. So, ten tracks. Can't use the same app more than once, which probably killed you. To be fair, using the same app wasn't the problem. It was trying to fit and limit it to 10. Yeah. Whilst covering the extent of artists, genres and bands that I wanted to. And I made that initial list after a week. And I stuck to nine of them. I've changed one, which is the last one, which we'll get to. But in my head, I've argued every single band, every single song about with 30 other songs by each band and 30 other artists that could easily replace it so there's like yeah. four I guess there's four I unequivocally would not have changed which I'll tell you which the four were when we get to them everything else could have been swapped to something else at some point okay alright so who's your first, first track by first track is by Death Trends okay now <clears throat> I I don't I don't have like a deep knowledge of Deftones material because like when when the new metal stuff was happening they were a little bit the, the sound didn't resonate with me as much as some of the more um, melodic stuff because it's, it's maybe a little discordant in places and, it is yeah it's down tune and, and very and... grandiose sort of sounds very ethereal and yeah. 
I can get, I can absolutely get into it now, but I have to, I now have to go back. I had around the fur, uh, and I was yeah. aware of the singles that kind of came out after, from the albums that followed. So why have you picked this track? Deftones are my favourite band in the world. They're my constant. So you know, have to, you be have to be in certain moods to listen to certain music. Mm-hmm. Deftones have never qualified as that. Um, I think with that new metal thing, I, think I wrongly got placed into it just because of time and genre. No, I back agree. Then you, you had like Corn and the Biscuit, and like a lot of other bands that were huge, and they kind of got tarnished because they all came about of mid nineties. I think Deftones' first album came out in ninety five. Like the Adrenaline did, so it was around the time Corn came out and the Biscuit's first album came out. So they completely like misrepresented with all of those bands. Uh, I think Deftones are the most. If they're to be compared to any of the bands, I'd say Radiohead. Just in the terms of no album really sounds the same. I don't think they've ever stretched them as far as themselves as far as Radiohead have. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think they have a blueprint, so you can listen to Deftones and go, "That's Deftones." But this is off Diamond Eyes, which for me is their peak album. Uh, it is one of the later ones. So I think a lot of people got the first three Deftones albums, and after White Pony kind of dropped off. Because there was a stylistic change, or...? Yeah. I think more than anything. I think White Pony commercially was their peak. Um, especially with Change, when that came out, it was huge. And that was, what, 99, I think, that came out? Yeah, and there's another, and parallel, with, there's another parallel with Radiohead there, in that sometimes when they make a massive shift in a different direction, some of the established fans do fall away, because, like, they... Yeah. It's, it's not what they signed up for. Which I get completely. If you're yeah. into a band because of a certain sound and they just change sound, it's like, well, that wasn't what I liked you. But for me, they've got better with it. Mm-hmm. I think their music's matured with them. I think the musicians have matured. Um, this album specifically, uh, Diamond Eyes, is for me their best work. Um, and the track in question is the one that stands out for me the most in terms of a good representation of that album. Okay. All right, so this track is? Uh, Houston the Butcher. So next is Alice in Chains. Okay, so this is another band I've got an awareness of, and I know, I know certain tracks, and I think they've got a really distinguished sound. Like you couldn't mistake them from any other bands. Yeah. Like you can you can tell Lane Staley's voice from a mile off. You can spot a Jerry Cantrell sort of riff. Um, yeah. Quite easily. Um, but again, like I don't have a, like a massive sort of deep knowledge of them. So tell me about this set. I think Alice Chains are the most underrated band of alternative music of the last 20 years. Well, 30 years now, um, because it is 2020. Um, this was good. So this is one of those ones that could have easily been Soundgarden. It could have been Paul Jam. It could have been Alice in Chains. It could have been Mudhoney. There's a lot of bands from Seattle in the early 90s who could have come into this. Um, but Alice in Chains for me, again, they're Death Jones-esque. They're up there for me in terms of one of the better bands 
um, personal favourites as well. This track I picked is off their first album. Obviously, with Alice, they had three albums with Lane um, and two EPs, and then he died in 2003. They disbanded and then came back with William Duvall, and they've now done three albums with him, which are amazing for a band of that calibre to reinvent themselves entirely. They've lost the bassist as well. The bassist Mike Starr died a few years ago. Their fifth album, so the second with the new singer, is as good as anything they did with Lane for me, but I've gone old school. Stuck with Bane. Yeah, I think Alice in Chains should be perceived to the same level as Metallica, in my opinion. I think they're that big, but maybe didn't branch out because of bands like Nirvana, who got all the hype from that Seattle scene. I think everyone else kind of fell underneath that. Yeah, I think the three bands that got called out a lot of the time was Nirvana, Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. Although I always saw Soundgarden as more, more of a, an, a rock outfit, like the thing is, I think Cold Jam were more folky, Nirvana were more punky, um, Alice in Chains were more almost stoner, like in the way the, the groove behind everything, and Soundgarden were the most metal, but the most straightforward metal band of those. I think you're right, they probably didn't, they probably haven't been given the credit they deserve because. Like I, I know people who are like massive followers of that genre and that sort of time in music, and they hold Alice in Chains in the, in the same esteem. Yeah. But unless you were like one of those dedicated grunge fans, they're not talked about nearly as much. Yeah, I think the thing that shows, because um, Kurt Cobain and Lane Steady both started the 5th of April, and you'll see on the 5th of April every year the amount of social media presence of, you know, memorials and stuff like that towards Kurt Cobain, and then Bang gets like a little bit of a mention in between. Um, whereas I think, genuinely, I think Lane, I mean, Joey wrote most, Joey Cantrell wrote most of the music, wrote most of the songs, lyrically as well. Lane did write a lot, but it was more Joey. Well, I guess Kurt was a better songwriter than Lane's name he was. So I, but I think as a band, in terms of bands go, or a thousand chains for me. Okay, so this track is? Confusion. version here but i love this who's this next track by miles davis amazing <laughs> yeah i kind of went uh that way a little bit no i love I, I love miles um i only have a couple of albums and i i always have the intention of getting more like because i know that there's there's he he went through phases in his life where he yeah. just went off in these new directions and changed the landscape of jazz but jazz Completely. isn't like it's not a massive genre for me. It's something that I want to maybe get more of. I've definitely bought a, f- a few more records since I've started using a turntable. But this track is gorgeous. Tell me about it. It is. So this is um, off Kind of Blue, which I think... I'm not going to say it's my favourite album of all time, but I think it is the best album of all time. Across the board. Across every genre of music. Across everything ever produced and recorded. I think Kind of Blue is the best record in the history of our species. That's a that's a massive statement. It's a huge statement. I think Miles Davis is a close... I think 
genius is thrown away is thrown around far too often when it comes to musicians to music to artists Miles Davis was a genius he re he reinvented jazz showed what jazz could be he played with some like with John Coltrane who again I was really close to putting Blue Train by John Coltrane in this so if you do listen to Miles and like it I recommend follow John Coltrane go Dizzy Gillespie go Charlie Parker there's a bunch of amazing jazz artists from that era but Miles was pinnacle I think jazz is one of those things that's been thrown around into like elevator music or hold music and stuff like that more recently a lot of people have that perception of what jazz is but old jazz like 50s, 60s, 70s jazz was insane yeah I think I think to a certain extent when unless you've got any sort of basic knowledge of it when you say jazz to some people they think like 1940s Glenn Miller type stuff right which yeah. is fine but like yeah. there's there's so much more there like um there's a I, I, I can't think who it's by but there's a there was a piece that was used at the beginning of 411 video magazine it's like a video skateboard magazine right okay so like it come out maybe every other month and it had this really cool, upbeat jazz track at the, that they'd use at the beginning of every edition. Um, but it, th that that kind of told you that there was there was more out there. And every now and then there would yeah. be a skate section that had like a jazz soundtrack, but you wouldn't always get the the credits, or maybe you wouldn't go looking for what it was because it it wasn't so easy to just pick up music, you know, in the yeah. mid nineties like Back it is now. Day. Yeah, I tried to read Miles Davis's uh, autobiography a while ago, and I can't read it because it's written as he talks. Yeah. Which is all just motherfucker this, motherfucker that. I fuck, <laughs> you know, like, it's like, okay, tell me what happened. Yeah. There's so many expletives per page. It's a very difficult read. The thing is, those, I feel like jazz musicians are like the best storytellers. If you watch any documentary or any interviews of people who knew Miles uh, in his life or perform with him, especially. Like jazz people just they can they can sell a story. Mm -hmm. And Miles has got some of the craziest stories of the guy he was and the way he lived. And I think he never took himself too seriously, but at the same time took himself way too seriously. Um jazz is one of those things I think it's definitely worth if you again if you listen to this and you like it, it's a rabbit hole which never ends. Because there is so much jazz, which I think it just got lost. It's almost coming back now. I've noticed recently in like soundtracks and scores and stuff like that, you do hear it coming back more and more and more. Um, which I guess is just an appreciation of people who listen to it and found have lost it now for to use them. Yeah, and I think I think there's there's a wealth of uh, music out there to find. You just need to have an idea where to look. Like I always um, I always used to love walking past the Yardbird in Birmingham. And sometimes, yeah, that far. Oh man, sometimes you would walk past there and it would be like, that sounds like something you would hear in New York. Yeah. You know, and the musicians are there. There's so many people who go through the, the, Birming, uh, the Birmingham Conservatoire uh, of Music who play classic by day for their education, but play amazing jazz or soul in their spare time. Yeah. Um, there was a ska band um, called Tempting Rosie um, from Brum that I used to gig with quite a lot who they went on to change to Kyoko and they're they're doing really well 
but those, like just to watch those guys because I'm not a proper musician like I don't know music I fumble around with instruments and happen upon things that mash together and do I, that I think you'd be more modest in your talents as well but no but like I don't I don't understand theory like yeah but the thing is if anything that's more credit to you the fact that you just kind of like work things out and then go oh that sounds amazing let's just go with that yeah, but like the, the point being that if I actually knew what I was doing, I could probably right, get from yeah. point A to B a little bit quicker little because quicker, I, would, yeah. I would have an idea how to navigate, and that's what those guys have. But I feel like that's what jazz wasn't. Jazz was, let's just get in a room and just see where this goes. No, exactly. I, th- I, th- I think the, the pioneers of jazz, people like Miles Davis and Dizzy Gillespie and so on, they're the people who had their own compass and everyone else just had to follow. Right. And it was finding musicians who could keep up and could follow. And I think that's where a lot of it gets uncredited. Um, and I appreciate it because some of the musicians around at that time were phenomenal. Like, genuinely incredible. Yeah. Okay, so this track is? Uh, this is So What? Okay, stylistically and musically at this point, it's back on track for what I would have expected from you. Okay. Tell me who's next. This is Audio Slave. So this was one of those ones, again, I felt like I needed to put punk in, and punk didn't make the cut. Punk isn't represented in my um, 10 tracks. And if it was going to be anywhere, this would have been the place to put it. But I also wanted to put Rage Against the Machine in there because I think they're one of the most important bands of our generation. Um, but also couldn't miss out Chris Cornell and Audio Slave are a good bridge to both. Yeah, two birds, one stone. Right. One amazing band. Right, yeah. And I think this album specifically, the debut album, is the best driving album in music. If you're going to drive, if you're into this kind of music anyway, if you put Audio Slave out, put Audio Slave's first album on, it's just such a good album to drive to. Agreed. Yeah. One of the things I've talked about a lot on this podcast regarding other records and stuff is contrast and you get that in abundance there's there's upbeat heavy stuff and there's more slightly more melancholic kind of wistful things that still have those big punchy choruses yeah it's an easy listen yeah i mean i remember when like like a stone was a track that really got i'm a huge rage fan uh, not just the debut album Rage Fan, I think Evil Empire was their best work, which I think gets criminally overlooked. Other than lyrically, that was them at their angriest. Yeah, I spoke about Evil Empire the other day with a, a buddy of mine, and I, I, like, there are tracks on that album that I love. Uh, yeah. Revolver, one of my favorite yeah. Rage tracks. Uh, the Revolver, Vietnam, and Rodeo, uh, those three tracks are just incredible. Yeah. But I've never managed to listen to the whole album start to finish because for me it's it's like a constant it's this it's the same sort of rage, anger, ferocity throughout. And because there's no peaks and valleys, it. it sounds horrible to say, but it's 
call it too much of a good thing. And so, so yeah, I get it. It is overwhelming, and I feel like if you listen to, if you were to listen to all three Rage albums, studio albums, not including Renegades, I think at the end of it, you're either gonna punch somebody or become revolutionary, just because it fills you with just you know a, a realization of injustice, and that, that's why Rage are the most important band because they literally use the platform purely to call out anti-establishment yeah. um, and I love that band but again I was kind of like missing out on Soundgarden earlier I think Chris Cornell is one of the biggest losses to music in the last 20 years I actually went to I went to his um, grave in LA uh, 2018 um, just to kind of like pay my respect I look at there's a huge grunge fan growing up kind of like, I'm glad I'm old as I am because I grew up when I grew up so I grew up through Paul Madison Chain Soundgarden and stuff like that and I think Chris Cornell and Temple of the Dog as well is another band that was a tribute to so Pearl Jam I'm not sure if you know about this Pearl Jam before Pearl Jam were a band called Mother Lovebone yeah and Temple of the Dog was a tribute to the singer right yeah so the singer was called Andy Wood he died in 1990 um, of a drug overdose and the band the guys from Pearl Jam or Mother Lovebone anyway got together with Chris Cornell and did an album called Temple of the Dark, which was like a tribute to that. And even that, lyrically, vocally, is a phenomenal album. That was the first thing that Eddie Vedder featured on as well. So they kind of just got him in, create a football jam. And Chris Cornell was like, look, get your guy, bring him in, get to do a song with us. So Hunger Strike was from that. Um, this song specifically, uh, the audio slave one I picked, it's hard to pick from the audio slave album because every track is phenomenal. But when I was in, I spent uh, two months traveling around South America two years ago, and this song was like my soundtrack for that. Not for any reason, it just, it was a song that at the time just seemed to encompass everything well. In North America, I remember I listened to uh, Desert Sessions, the Queens of Stone Age, other band, yeah. a lot. Um, the Central America, I can't remember what it was, I think I was still on a Desert Sessions kick. But yeah, in South America, this track especially, was um, on those long bus journeys between countries and borders. This was like my soundtrack to it. Okay, so this is? Shadow on the Sun. Audio Slave, who's up next? Next is the greatest band in the history of music. It's Led Zeppelin. Okay. Now you won't be surprised. This is not the first time they've been added. Uh, the last time was with a comedian friend of mine, Lucy Thompson, and she put in rock and roll from the same album. Right. Okay. So you tell me about your track. So for me, Zeppelin are. I always say they're the short shank of bands. So Shawshank for me, Shawshank Redemption, is the best film ever made. It might not be your favourite film, but it's the best film ever made. I agree. Right. And I think Red Zeppelin are the equivalent of that in music. They're not my favourite band, but I think they're the best band in the history. They're the most influential. They're, as musicians, the most talented. 
as creatives where they took music was just insane. And this track especially, I would go as far as to say is probably my favourite... Uh, yeah, I'd say my favourite track in... I don't like ever, because it depends on mood, it depends on environment, it depends on the weather, it depends on what goes on. What, you know what I mean? Like, No, no, no honestly, because there's, there's so many people that have done this podcast who were like, this could be a completely different set of songs oh, 100%, yeah. on any given day. I, I agree, but whatever 10 tracks it was, this would be in there every single time. Okay, so this is when the levee breaks. from Led Zeppelin who's up next so next I wanted to go local um, and that's generally again one of those things where I was like I wanted to bring hip hop into this I wanted to bring um, lots of other kind of genres of music I do listen to but I could not miss out Black Sabbath amazing so is this your favourite Sabbath track it, this is my favourite Sabbath track yeah I think they're one of the one, again without travel they have travelled a lot for three years travelling the world and whenever I have travelled and people are like, where are you from? And you say I'm from England, they're like, oh, London. It's like, no, because there's other parts of England that are just London. Uh, and I'd always say Birmingham because Tamworth, no one's going to know Tamworth. Whereas you say Birmingham, people might kind of have an idea. And when people go, I don't know Birmingham, I'd say it's where Black Sabbath are from. Yeah, that's a, that's a good uh, sort of marquee to hang the city under. Right, because the people straight away are like, oh, okay, I know Black Sabbath. Because everyone knows Black Sabbath. Um, I think Sabbath, again, they're kind of up there with uh, Zeppelin in terms of influence, their importance in alternative music, in metal, in whatever you want to call it. Um, I think as I've got older, I've got more of an appreciation for them. Uh, I actually went to their second last ever show um, in London. I just got back from South America two days before, and my brother in law was a huge Sabbath fan as well. So me and him and my sister went to see Sabbath on the second to last show before they finished up. Um, but yeah, Sabbath for me are the huge, and the you know, the local, which makes it a bit more guitars. Yeah, it definitely. Um, I took my father-in-law to see them at Download, and then the the last show in Birmingham we went to as well. Oh, cool. Okay. Which was yeah, pretty pretty amazing. My my favourite track is the the Wizard. Yeah, I mean the Wizard is. There's not, there are very, I mean, I'm a first four or five albums Sabbath fan. After that, not so much. Dio, you know, fuck himself. Um, I'm all about the first four or five albums. Um, and I, it was this or Fairies Wear Boots that I went with this. Fairies Wear Boots is, is a classic. Um, yeah. The the Wizard I love for the, the drum breakdowns and, and the fills. Yeah. Because there, there's a funkiness to it. Yeah, there is. Well, that's the thing. I think so many different. I mean, there's no. I mean, I'm a big fan of stoner and like more bluesy kind of like metal, if you will, or rock or whatever. And that whole genre wouldn't have existed without Sabbath. Like Clutch and Down and Red Fang and like White Zombie. And there's so many bands that just wouldn't and genres that wouldn't have existed without Sabbath. There was a thing in Birmingham. I'm not sure if you went last year at one of the museums that had a big thing on for Sabbath. Mm-hmm. 
um, which was kind of, it was rad to see Birmingham acknowledge them more. Like where I work, so I work in a bar in Birmingham around the corner. There's a huge bit of graffiti, which is just all four original members um, with a big backstab of burglar there. And it's kind of, it's cool that Birmingham are now beginning to acknowledge, well, hang on, we've got this, like, Liverpool, we've got the Beatles. Like, we've got this huge band that we really should kind of you know, harness more and, like, appreciate more and embrace more. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Birmingham's slowly starting to do that, which is definitely a good thing. Amazing. So this is? NIB. Okay, so we've listened to Black Sabbath. Who's next? Next is Hendrix, because you can't not have Hendrix. I love that. Because you you have covered a lot of bases with this mixtape. I think that was... Because, again, I do listen to a lot of hip-hop. I I really wanted to kind of, like, put some in there, almost to the point of, like... I generally thought about uh, Charles Gambino, This is America, because I think that's probably the most important song of the last 10, 20 years. Mm Mm-hmm especially coupled with the video uh, I love Kanye I'm a huge Kanye fan I get the human has kind of gone off the rails a bit but as a musician I think his work's phenomenal I love old 90s like obviously growing up in the 90s 90s hip hop was huge but I just couldn't figure out what to miss out in what I have picked and I wanted to represent I think where music we listen to now came from okay. so Zeppelin Sabbath and I think one of the biggest ones... I think the problem with Hendrix is a lot of people know Hendrix is the best of. They've got yeah. the compilation... Go for, he's got three records. Jimi Hendrix Spirits released three albums, and that was it. So it's not a, a lot of work to have to go back and research properly. I mean, he did other stuff. There's loads of other things combined. But in terms of that specific band, there's three albums. And I think Hendrix is one of the most important musicians of history ever, period. The guy was, again... Miles Davis level genius. Yeah, and there's always that frustration of like how much more could have been achieved, you know? Yeah. But, I, I think Hendrix is his own genre. Like he's not I get there's blues in there, there's like there's so much, but I think Hendrix was just his own thing. And I love when you watch there's a version of this track performed live in Sweden. It's an eleven minute version. And if you ever watch it, it's like some grainy black and white video. You can see the rest of his band, who were also outstanding musicians almost just follow him and watch like we'll just try again almost in a jazz piece just wherever he decides to let this go we'll just try and keep up with it yeah which they managed to do outstandingly okay so this is this is red house next one by so the next one is by Bjork um, I think Bjork again is just I think a lot of people think of Bjork and think it's oh so quiet um, that's about their knowledge of her mm-hmm. uh, 
this the album that this is on um a pure Radiohead-esque artist in terms of she reinvents herself constantly and not just musically but image-wise as well every album has a very fixed theme to it in imagery in uh, instruments in everything um i actually lived in iceland for a year and lived like 30 minutes away from where bjork lives i never saw her but um, I was, yeah, 30 minutes away from her. Um, I needed quite a female vocalist in as well. I listened to a lot of female artists, um, be it Erica Badu, Billie Holiday, Fiona Apple, Tori Amos. Um, uh, I probably could have put more in, but I just, again, ask me tomorrow to make another list and maybe six of them would have made it in there. Well, I am going to be doing some themed episodes where maybe 10 different people get to put forward a track to that compilation. Okay. So I don't there's... think about I don't think female artist is a genre because it isn't. You know what I mean? No, but like we could there could be like a like a a, a category or a theme or or a definition right. for people to like collaborate with, and I think that you know having having ten different conversations about individual tracks could make for a very interesting listen and a very diverse yeah. mixtape. So, I mean, and yeah, then. And then, and then perhaps it's even more difficult trying to figure out what one track you're going to put forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, so yeah, Bjork is one of those people. Again, I think if people, if you listen to this and like it, it's um, I could never give you a starting point for Bjork because every album's completely different. Um, but I definitely recommend her if it's something you've ever listened to before and been like, oh, okay, she's good. I actually saw her live last year, and she is one of the best live performers I've ever seen in my life yeah. the show she put on was insane the first episode that relaunched mixtapes with mics had a, a sugar cubes track on it okay and that sort of struck up a conversation about bjork and i think she was so ahead of her time people a lot of people maybe more mainstream people didn't realize what they had in front of them and i think if you look back at the material now you can understand her more now yeah, no, completely. Like, I think the way, like, electro music and stuff like that's gone, there's elements, like, generally there's parts of her music that are, like, in just, like, I listen to, like, one is for LCD Sound System in this, they're my favourite, like, electro band, um, but there's elements of Bjork covers in that. I could have put Nine Inch Nails in here, which were, growing up, the biggest band to me. There's elements of Bjork covered in that five years before Nine Inch Nails got there. Like, she literally is a pioneer in so many ways. But I think people still just think of her as that chick from Iceland who did it so, so quiet. <laughs> I think she needs um, more, yeah, more props. She deserves I, more. I think my, f- you know, again, not that I've got uh, an in-depth knowledge of her back catalogue, my favourite was the All Is Full Of Love. And yeah, uh, that atmosphere and emotion conveying that song was insane. And the video that went with it was crazy. Yeah. I think it was a Chris Cartwright video. All right, so this is? This is Solstice. Next up, we've got an artist that you have in common 
with Charlotte Lombardi. Who's this next one? Right, so this is Jeff Buckley. Yeah. So Jeff Buckley is, for me, on par with Springsteen, with Dylan. Um, obviously, he only released one studio album before he died. Uh, he drowned the day before they were going to the studio to start recording their second album, which was later released. But it was called so it was called My Sweetheart the Drunk, the second album. It was released by his mom, the sketches of My Sweetheart the Drunk, which was just eight track recordings, he'd done stuff with demos. Uh, the first album is my personal, my favorite album ever. I've, I know I said like Miles Davis is the best album ever, but in the same way, Zeppelin, I think, is the best band ever. Um, this is my favorite album. This is my go to. If anyone was ever like, give me something to listen to, Jeff would be my suggestion. I guess, and it's, it's another one of those horrible things where you kind of think, how much more beautiful work could have come out of that artist? Yeah, I mean, this came out 26 years ago, this album did. And he was so he was massively influenced by uh, Nusrate Fateh Ali Khan, who's a Pakistani musician. Okay. And if you listen to like the vocals behind that guy and Jeff, like his wails, where he kind of goes off, you'll see the similarities between the two and Zeppelin. So Jimmy Page was like his god. And you can hear the mix between the two. Um, he did like a lot of stuff with my Gary Lucas as well. He was in Captain Beefheart. Like just so many different musicians. Because obviously his dad being Tim Buckley, um, who was I think we don't realise now he doesn't maybe get the credit he deserves, but it was like Leonard Cohen big, Bob Dylan big at a time in the sixties. And then kind of dropped off after he passed away. And I think when Jeff kind of came in, Grace was kind of... I mean, I was 12 when this album came out. And it seemed to kind of like go under the radar for a lot of people, which included... I didn't discover it until 97, 98. Through my brother, my brother had the album, played it, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, his voice just ruined me. Um, and yeah, definitely one of those people who by now could have had 20 albums behind him which would have gone in so many different directions, but we only have the one. Do you think he's, or his legacy's suffered at all through the one track that people seem to focus on is Hallelujah. Yeah. And I, well, whilst it is a tremendous version of that song, it just seems like I know what you mean. It, there was there, there was way more. There certainly seems to have been way more to him as an artist than that track. Oh, hundred percent. But so many people sum him up with this one track, and it's a cover. Yeah, I think more recently as well. I think since shows like X Factor and like Pop Idol came out, I don't think Hallelujah even was that big until maybe twelve years ago. Like his cover of it wasn't really like even. So the film Shrek has a cover of Hallelujah, who was obviously we don't know. A Leonard Cohen song. Um, and it was covered by Rufus Wainwright in Shrek. And that was actually bigger at that point than Jeff Buckley's version was. And it wasn't until someone covered it on Pop Idol or X Factor, I'm not sure who. And that's when Jeff started getting more acknowledgement. I think one good thing that's come from it is it's got people into him and into his music. But I agree, and there's a lot of people that if you say Jeff Buckley, they'll go, oh, well, hallelujah, guy, right? And as a songwriter, like this track is my favorite track by Jeff Buckley, purely because of the lyrics of this song. I actually have a line from this song tattooed on me. There's a line in this song which is, uh, My kingdom for a kiss upon her shoulder. 
and I have that line tattooed on me. I've had for like 20 ideas. And I think that's one thing, that's the downside of him being acknowledged for a cover version is people don't realize as a lyricist how good he was. Okay, so this track is? Uh, Love You Should Have Come Over. Jeff Buckley, we find ourselves at your final track. So, final track was initially Interpol, uh, the new. The reason I picked Interpol was because all of these bands and artists, not including Audio Slave, um, were pre 90s, so 90s okay. or before that. And I wanted something a bit more recent for the last 20 years. I know Audio Slave were, but they came from two bands that yeah. were, that's what they're known for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could not leave out this artist um, because he is in the same way Hendrix and Miles. I only generally consider three people in music to be actual, that God-tier level of genius, and this is the third, and it's Tom Waits. Now, I know of him. I know he's got this sort of travelling man, troubadour, uh, kind of ethereal spirit that he's kind of perceived as, but I, I... I don't know any of his material at all. So, like, if you were going to tell me, if you were going to tell me an album to start with, uh, Mule Variation is my favorite album. So, generally, it depends because it's Tom Waits reinvented himself throughout his career. Um, his, he did stuff in the eighties that was probably the stuff he's more known for. But um, he released an album mid nineties called Mule Variation, which it's it's a fun dark, fucked up album. And that that would be a good starting point for me. There's like points in that, there's enough tracks covered in it, in his range, where you'd be like, okay, I'm more curious to see where else he went with his ideas and stuff. He would make instruments of everything. And so if you don't know, if you don't know who Tom Waits is, also because he, he acts a lot as well. He was in Book of Eli, he was in Bram Stoker's Dracula, um, he was in Domino, he's been in like loads of films as well. He's known for his voice, because his voice is gravelly. Like Mark Lanigan, probably the closest comparison. Yeah, very gruff. Yeah. Um, There's actually things so in The Dark Knight, um, the Joker, like Heath Ledger, based his voice on Tom Waits' voice. Interesting. So the character, where he's kind of like the low, growly... That was based on Tom Waits. Um, the guy's eccentric. He's phenomenal. He's everything. I, think the, I genuinely believe he's a fucking genius. Like, I think as a musician, as a person, if you ever watch his interviews, he's just, he's, he's crazy. But the perfect amount of crazy. And I think if you listen to, like, Real Gone or Shortfish Trombone, I think some of his earlier albums... He's a storyteller, but in the old Americana style way of being a storyteller. So kind of like if Dylan was the forefront of it, then Tom Waits was the guy you'd meet at the back of the petrol station at 3 a.m. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's who Tom Waits was. And for me, that's always the rather the guy I'd want to talk to. So, so this track is? 
Tom Chalfords Blues. so much for coming on and doing this no you're very welcome i've really enjoyed it i knew this was going to be a good conversation and <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad that we we've caught up and i look forward to sitting in a beer garden or out in an open space yeah a couple of drinks and catching up properly take care man take it easy man bye So, that's this week's episode. As always, we've kept the music discussed played below the conversation because we believe that all musicians should be paid something for what they do. So if you do want to listen to the mixtape in full, there's a link in the show notes that will take you to either Apple Music or Spotify. And if you're enjoying the podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave a review or hit the share button and send it to someone you think would enjoy it. But in the meantime, I will see you next week for another episode of Mixtapes with Mike.